This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Yeah, we're going to do a series called Missionary Jesus. Missionary Jesus. Uh, the word missionary, in fact, means... Does anyone know what the word missionary, where it comes from? What the root of the word is? Sent. Banar. Great. Yeah, it means sent one. A missionary means a sent one. Obviously, Jesus is the ultimate sent one, sent from the Father. Um, it also, it, it's in, in Latin, it's missionary. In, in Greek, it's apostle. But we're not going to get into that this morning. And we're going to look at uh, gospel encounters, encounters that Jesus has with with other people in the Bible and how uh, how he speaks to them and how we're going to learn from that. Uh, and actually, one of the things that's really important when we choose a series is that we're not looking for... I'm not looking for five, five handy tips that can make your life better. Uh, I'm not looking for lots of passages that are centered around you and you and your existence and your life. So I'm really sorry. If, if, if you want to come Sunday by Sunday and you want to hear kind of nice therapy... I'm sorry, that's not what we're going to do, try and do in this series. There will be stuff that speaks to you in your life, but that's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is to say, let's look at Jesus. Let's look at Jesus, let's look at him. He's the, Jesus is on every page of this book. He's the God who creates, he's the God who every story points to, he's the one who every promise anticipates, he's the, uh, he's the uh, chosen one, which means the Messiah, the Christ. He's the God-made flesh who walked amongst us. So if we want to see God, we want to look at Jesus, the King, the Servant, the Creator, the Crucified One, the Loving Father. That's what we're going to do. We, we, want, to, we want to look at Jesus, because actually the Bible says, as you behold him, you're transformed. And so we're hoping through this series that we look at Jesus and how he interacted with people and will be changed. Rather than look at ourselves, because I find that when I, when I reflect on myself, I really feel like, man, I've got a lot of work to do. But when I look at Jesus, I think, man, you can do the work in me. So we're going to look at how he encountered men, women, rich, poor, religious types, foreigners, an adulterous woman, a powerful man. And we're going to look at how he interacted with his personal friends. And we're going to see how he speaks right into the situation. How he's so good at being a missionary, a sent one from his father to speak and reveal about the father. So he's challenging, he's compassionate, he's loving, he's direct. And, and what we'll do is we'll find that that encounters with Jesus takes us right up to the cross and the resurrection. So that's where we're going through. So turn to your neighbor and say, wow, I'm really excited about this series. <laughs> Okay, great. So let's start with John chapter 1. I'm in two minds because it says you shouldn't give up the public reading of Scripture, but John chapter 1 is a long chapter. So we're going to read, we're going to use bits of John chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, it's, it's this thing here, you know, that's printed. You might have it on your phone. But if you have a Bible, put a finger or, you know, a, a pen or a like to know more card, put it in, in John chapter 1. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to refer to bits and pieces from the whole chapter. But I am going to read, I don't think it's even come up, I didn't even put it in my PowerPoint, but I am going to read uh, verse 19. So there's been this amazing prologue, this poem, 
that, that, God has, uh, that God has inspired John, the gospel writer, to write. And um, let's pick it up. It says, now, this was John's testimony. That's John the Baptist. So not John the gospel writer, John the Baptist. John doesn't mention himself in his gospel. So when it's John, it's John the Baptist, okay? When John's testimony, now this was John's testimony, when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, who are you then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said to him, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one crying in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. Now some of the Pharisees who'd been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, uh, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but, um, John replied, but amongst you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs whose sandals I am not worthy untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself do not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit, this is amazing, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would have not known it except for the one that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples and he said, look, the Lamb of God. Father, we thank you for this uh, brilliant encounter between John the Baptist and yourself right at the start of this story. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we open this up, we'd be challenged by John the Baptist's radical edge. But more than that, you would open heaven as you did on that Baptist day and show us more of Jesus, that we would know you better. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so John's gospel opens with this brilliant... uh, a prologue, and actually it's got a bit of a structure like this, just to, if you like these kind of things, um, it's kind of ring structure. It starts with Jesus and God in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and it ends with Jesus and God. He was in the embrace of the Father, in the bosom of the Father, and then it's got two things uh, about Jesus and the world, and then right in the middle it says, yet those who received him, who believed in his game, and gave the right to be called sons of God. But in the middle of this interesting structure is we've got this stuff about John, Uh, being a witness. Uh, And it says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's verse 6. He came as a a witness to testify, that's like as in a court of law, concerning that light, that'd be Jesus, so that all, uh, all, through him, all might believe. He himself was not the light, and then he came as a witness to the light. And then reflecting it in verse 15, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. Now it's really interesting actually that John the Baptist was very, very famous at this point. And we'll find later on, John the Baptist is very famous. And actually, uh, uh, Jesus' impact was much less. John the Baptist had had a national impact. And it's not that Jesus didn't have any impact at all, but Jesus' impact was much more focused 
And so it's almost as if that John, the Gospel writer, maybe writing 30 years afterwards, he quotes John because John is this figure. In fact, Josephus, who's a Roman historian, he writes much more about John the Baptist than he does about Jesus. And so we've got to understand that, so that John obviously thought it's critical uh, John the Baptist pointing to Jesus. He's almost sworn testimonies like in a court of law. He's, I'm not the one, he's the one. He's the one. And so, so we've got G- John the Baptist almost as this first missionary, this first sent one who uh, points to Jesus. So I, I, tried to, I made some points this morning just to help you <clears throat> through my ramblings. Okay, so the first point, John was called and chosen by God to be a missionary. Interesting, uh, he's got a great birth story. Uh, his father was a, an aged uh, priest in the temple, and uh, there hadn't been much uh, prophetic stuff. And God hadn't spoken through any of the prophets for about 400 years. And then uh, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 1 that uh, the Zachariah is doing his priestly duties in the temple, and angel Gabriel uh, uh, speaks to him. And says this, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. He's obviously been praying for something. Your wife, will, Elizabeth, will bear a son. He's obviously old and he's, uh, he hasn't got any kids. His wife hasn't had any children. Elizabeth hasn't had any children. And he says, now you're old, you're going to bear a son. It's a bit like Abraham, he's old. Right at the beginning of the story of uh, uh, the Old Testament. He's old, he's not, his wife can't have a child. But yet here's Angel Gabriel coming and saying, you're going to have a child and you're going to call him John. For he'd be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never going to take wine or other fermented drink. Take note there, gentlemen. Doesn't mean you have to, but it does. It's, it's interesting. He was what's called a Nazarene. In other words, he, he lived out in the wilderness. They were supposed to never shave, um, and uh, they didn't drink uh, alcoholic drink. And um, so he's a kind of Nazarene. He was uh, li- never shave his hair, live out in the, the wilderness, never drink any drink. But he says this, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And he will bring back many people of Israel to their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to make a people prepared for the Lord. And actually, Zechariah doesn't believe it at all. Gets this amazing word that his son's going to be this prophet, this one that's going to go before God, and he doesn't believe it at all. And actually, he's struck, struck dumb. So you can imagine the kind of as he comes back from, from, from his time as, as the priest in the temple, you know, how did it go? You know, it was a bit like what's like when I come back from my day, you know, I go away uh, and Naomi says, what was it like? Fine. You know, my kids, what was it like? Fine, fine. It doesn't, you know, John, Zachariah is obviously bursting with information, but he's been struck down. Maybe he scribbles it down, you're going to be pregnant or whatever. I don't know how the interaction goes, but obviously this amazing thing's happening that God is going to do in John. And, and it's like uh, John's been birthed into, into Elizabeth, not supernaturally like uh, Jesus, but he's, he's birthed into Elizabeth. And there's a great story actually in, um, in one of the Gospels where actually Jesus is Mother Mary. She was, uh, Elizabeth was much older. She was probably her auntie. It says they were cousins, but in one translation, but basically they were, they were related. Mary, uh, Mary was quite young, probably a teenager. She's uh, pregnant without sex. Uh, Elizabeth is, has sleeps with John and they have a baby, but they're related. And there's this moment where they're both pregnant. It's a bit like the NCT club uh, uh, in ancient Palestine. And uh, Elizabeth, uh, Mary goes to Elizabeth uh, to visit her. 
I don't know if there's other pregnant women around, but there's certainly two of them. I should have got a pillow. I won't use the bread because that would really be bad. But if you imagine with me, sorry, that, 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 that there's two, baby, two babies. One's, one's inside Elizabeth and one's inside Mary. And Mary comes... Naomi's looking very worried at this point. <laughs> Come, Mary comes into the kind of room or comes into the presence and she says, she greets her, 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 her auntie Elizabeth and what happens to John the Baptist, it says he leaps inside the womb. Whoa, whatever, I don't know. It's like, you know, Mary got a kick out of it. <laughs> I don't know how it works, but basically John the Baptist leaps inside the, the mother's womb when he hears Mary's voice. It's almost like he recognised Jesus even before he was born, which is what, um, uh, which had, what the angel had said to, to, uh, to Zechariah, his father. And then he says, and then Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she says, blessed are you amongst women, and says this amazing thing. And John the Baptist, I don't know how this works, don't test me theologically, but I think that it says, you know, Zechariah said, John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit. God's presence, God's uh, uh, presence would be on uh, John the Baptist even before he's born. Now, I, I don't know how that works, but there's a sense where, where God has so come close to, to John that he's kind of born for this single purpose. He's born for this one purpose. Even in the womb, he recognizes what he's supposed to do. I'm supposed to point to Jesus. When Jesus is, in the, when Jesus is there, suddenly he, he, he leaps in the womb. And actually, um, when the baby's born, John, uh, Zachariah writes down, you should call him John. And then his mouth opens, and he does a brilliant thing. He almost like gets, I think we should do this. He gets the baby, and he, sp- and he speaks God's word over him. It says, you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, and you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him and give his people knowledge of salvation. So John's this amazing sent one. He's right, his whole purpose in life is to point to Jesus. Right from the moment he's born, he's got to point to Jesus. He keeps himself pure, doesn't drink wine, doesn't shave, lives out in the desert, maybe doing retreat, praying. I, I don't know, he's, he's, he's this kind of dedicated one to point to Jesus. He's the, the a kind of ultimate uh, missionary. He doesn't go abroad. Uh, we often think missionaries are kind of ones that go abroad. No, he, he's, he's in his own backyard, as it were, amongst his own people, uh, pointing to Jesus. But it's interesting, actually, we as Christians have got that same missionary call as John the Baptist. We've got that same missionary call, called and chosen by God to point to Jesus. And we've got that same missionary call. So actually, in... Um, Peter, writing to the church, uh, scattered churches, um, uh, he says this, a famous passage, 1, uh, 1 Peter 2.9, you are a, say it, chosen. chosen people, a royal priest and a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's interesting that John says, it says in the first chapter of John, John was to testify to the light. He said, I'm not the light, but I've come to tell you about the light. Here we have Peter saying, the church is to do the same. He's the one who's called us out of darkness, out of sin, out of not knowing God, and brought us into his light. And what we're to do is to do, what does it say? What's it say? Declare the praises of him. We're here to say, yes, it's him. He's the one. He's the one. And we're called to do that. We, we, we've got the same responsibility. But I feel, when I reflect it, I don't feel that same sense of responsibility. If John has got this single-minded, uh, focused responsibility, this is what I'm for, 
I should have that same single-minded focus and responsibility. We, God first, we as Christians in this town should have that same single-minded focus, but we don't. We, got, we, we get confused, we, we drift into other things, and we say, no, this is my purpose, or this is my purpose, or this is what I'm called to do, and this is what I'm called to do. But, but Peter's saying, no, you've been called, you've been saved, you've been made a Christian to declare Jesus' goodness. That's your purpose. But we get so confused about our voices, competing purposes. No, your purpose is to get a good education, your purpose is to get married, your purpose is to have family, your purpose is this, your purpose is this. Actually, all those things are, 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 are consumed in the bigger purpose. What does Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else is be added. We're made for this single purpose. We're called for this single purpose to declare. So, but I think it's interesting that actually Mary, when she comes to Jesus, when Mary sorry, comes with Jesus in her womb to Elizabeth, there's a moment where the Spirit of God comes. And I reflected on that, and I think sometimes we can be in worship. You know, I know you can be a bit of a consumer about worship, or Andy did well, or they didn't do well, or whatever. But, but we get those moments. I don't know if you've ever had those moments in worship where you're singing great truth, or you're singing and you feel God's presence come, and you feel like, if I open my eyes, I'll see the crucified Savior. If I open my eyes, I'd see the, the, the God, the Lamb seated on the throne. And you get those incredible moments where you're filled with the spirit. And, and what happens is that we, we can do that when, when we're close to him. We can be like John the Baptist. Yes! We're like that in a worship service, but actually when we go out, we're quiet. We're a bit more like, you know, I, I think there's a picture of, of um, a, a kind of guy with tape in his mouth. We're a bit more like Zachariah. So when we're in here, we're a bit like Elizabeth. Blessed are you, woman. Da, 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 praise God. But then when we're out there, we're like John. Struck dumb. We don't say it. I think that actually that what's, what Zachariah says over John, God wants to say over us this morning. He says, you knew my child, a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him to give his people knowledge of salvation. It's all right, they've got to go to work. It's not that I've offended them this point. They did come and tell me very nicely. Okay, so there's a sense, God first, where you, God's child, are called to declare God's, to give the people knowledge of salvation. uh, Luke puts it like this in Acts, so you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, till the ends of the earth. Just like Mary, uh, just like uh, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit, you're filled with the Holy Spirit for a purpose. And that purpose is to declare Jesus, called and chosen to be God's witnesses. Second one, John was unashamed, says in Mark 1. He's a bit of an old school. I'm not recommending that, that we t- adopt his style. I don't think that... You know, there is a, we're not really... A, are we a beard to church? And, and crazy diets. You know, John the Baptist ate locusts and wild honey. You know, I think that Naomi would say, yes, great, but we're not having honey. <laughs> Just locusts. <laughs> no honey. <laughs> I said, what? Can we have a glass of wine? No. <laughs> Fermented wine. You know, and there's this kind of, and it, you can feel like, oh, it's about beards and diets, and we get all this kind of stuff. But actually, that John the Baptist, his model, we've put that aside, John the Baptist's model was, was pretty radical. He was unashamed, as he pointed to Jesus. It says in Mark 1, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, baptizing, uh, preaching a baptism of repentance, 
and forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out from him, confessing their sins who were baptized by him in the river Jordan. Then he adds, John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. As I said, Josephus says the crowds were massing to John. I know that Jesus had large crowds, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 falling, but, but John had massive crowds. It seems to imply here that the whole of Jerusalem went out, out to him. All the people of Jerusalem went out to him. There were large numbers of people who went out to him. And they could have seen kind of, uh, uh, you know, the bearded, camel-haired, kind of non-drinking kind of guy. But actually, he's unashamed. So here's this. How's about this for an approach to uh, when people are coming? says in Luke 3, it says, John saw the crowds coming to him. I'd have thought, great, crowds coming, we're going to fill the seats, we're going to do the around, we're going to, we might have a church and get all excited. John the Baptist does this, imagine you come, you come, to, uh, uh, the, come to the Alpha Meal. Imagine you bring your friend to the Alpha Meal and he says this, look you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath, Whoa! Keep, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't say to yourself, we have Abram as our father, for I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abram. They were coming to him, and they were thinking, yeah, I'm a religious person. I'm a Jewish person. You know, it's a bit like when on censuses, when people, they're asked what their religion are. About 60% put Christian or Church of England. And there's this idea that if you're born in a Christian, born in a Christian country, well, you must be a Christian. And this is what they think. They think, well, I'm a... I'm born in a Christian country. I'm a Jew. I'm born in a Christian country. I'm, I'm a son of Abraham. Maybe I, I must be fine. But John the, Baptist, uh, John the Baptist goes straight for him. He's not interested in cultural Christians. He's saying, look, you need to show repentance. You need to turn from your sin. You need to show fruits of repentance. You need to ask for forgiveness. Now, it's interesting. We need to understand how we communicate about Jesus. Because I, I, I don't think, I don't recommend at the moment going out onto the street and, and standing up uh, you can grow a beard or not, standing up on a soapbox, and everybody that goes past, you start to point at them and say, you're a sinner going to hell, you brood of vipers. I, I don't think that that's necessarily the way it's going to work in our culture. I mean, I've done that, not brood of vipers and you sinners, but I have stood up and preached on the street in the past. But actually, I, I think that, that we can say, okay, well, we need a method that communicates with our culture better. And I understand that the gospel runs through friendships and relationships and all those kinds of things, and it's really important. But I think even if we're making friendships and relationships with people, we're building that bridge where we can tell people about Jesus, I think sometimes we still bottle it. I think sometimes we're still afraid. I think sometimes that we, we get to the point and we never point to Jesus. There's always a different conversation. We can talk about church, or we can talk about our friends in church, or we can talk about, oh, isn't it nice, Tom and Lucy have a lovely house, and we have nice dinners, and all that. But we never get to the point where we talk about Jesus. So I'm not suggesting that we should say to every visitor who comes to the, the lunch, you, brood of vipers, what are you doing here? Whoa. But I think that we should understand that actually there's a message to be communicated, and we need to be a bit braver. We need to be a bit braver, a bit more confident. We need to be a bit more unashamed. Do you know the reason why we don't tell people why we're not confident? Why are we scared of people? It's actually a pride issue. It's a pride issue. Because what we're worried about is what people think about me much more than what they think about Jesus. Because we're worried that if we tell people nicely and culturally aware and sensitively, but if we tell people... That, that, that actually there's such a thing called sin 
and there's such a thing as, as you need to repent and you need to turn, whoa, what are people going to think of us? Now, there's a message, and we'll come to it later, that, 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 that's gentle and soft, but, but I think sometimes I, I, I just bottle it. I don't go there. I don't go there. I'm not brave. We need to be more unashamed of the gospel. So, third point is, oh, there's my timid person. Thank you for putting that one up. Shall we put it back up again? Yes. That's what we like. Are you a Christian? Okay, thirdly, and I think importantly, John understood the urgency of the moment. John's message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come, or come near. For, for Jews who were listen to uh, John the Baptist, that's, that word, that phrase, the kingdom of heaven has come, is kind of loaded with importance. It's loaded with significance. It, it, it's saying that, that God's king, the Messiah, the kingdom of God, God's king, the Messiah, is coming. And actually he says he's come. He's come near. This is the, the Messiah would crush all God's enemies, the one who would bring freedom to God's people, the one who would set them free from the Romans. So, so it's not surprising that they came out from Jerusalem and they uh, came out um, and, and heard him, because they were in the same sort of situation as Israel's founding story. Israel's founding story is called the what? How did the nation get started? It's called the Exodus. Does anyone know that story? Israel are in, uh, in slavery in Egypt, a foreign power, uh, and then a deliverer comes, Moses comes to Pharaoh, let my people go. There's, a, there's a, a plagues and plagues, and there's a Passover. A lamb is slaughtered, blood is put on the doorposts. Then the angel passes by, brings judgment to Egypt, and they go out through the Red Sea into the wilderness. Here's now the people of, the people of, 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 of Jerusalem and Judea under a foreign power, maybe not slaves, but yet under this foreign power, looking for this deliverer to come. Who's the one who's going to set us free? So what do they do? John the Baptist comes, and kind of crazy hair and shouting out, and, and they, whoa, and they think, maybe it's him. And they come out of their cities, and they go, where? Where's John the Baptist? In the wilderness. They go into the wilderness, and what does he ask them to do? Go through the water. If you're a Jew, this is like your nation-founding story being played out again. I think we, the Americans seem to be thin on the ground today, but, but it's a bit. if I said tea chests in Boston Harbour, that wouldn't mean something to you, wouldn't it, Paul? Yeah? It's a no taxation without representation. Yeah? It's, a, it's the, a kind of the start of the American Revolution. If we had a French person here and we said storming the Bastille... It'd be an image of a nation-forming story. And what's happening is, this is a nation-forming story, and John the Baptist is saying, come out from under foreign rule, come out, repent, because God's deliverer is here. Go through the waters, because there's a new exodus. So you've got to understand, they thought, wow, this is a nation-forming story being reenacted. So baptism is about being immersed and cleansed, but it's also about new beginnings. Jewish men would wash themselves, not baptised by others, but wash themselves every Sabbath because they want to be clean, because they believe that the, the, the first day of the week, uh, um, uh, sorry, the, the last day of the week, the Sabbath, was when God rested, and they want to kind of say, right, now it's a new beginning. When women had had their periods, they'd wash, baptise themselves, new beginning, clean. 
And now here we have these people coming out of the, uh, Jerusalem and going to, uh, to John the Baptist. And they're thinking, is this the one? Is he the one who's going to slay the Romans and set the people free? So they ask him, it says in John 1.19, we read it, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, well, who are you then? Who are you then? Are you Elijah? He says, I'm not. Are you the prophet? No, I'm not. Are you the Messiah? No, I'm not. Interesting, uh, if you look at, well, they asked him, was he the prophet? It says in Deuteronomy 18, the Lord will raise up a prophet. Moses says this. The Lord will raise up a prophet like me from amongst you. You will listen to him and do whatever he tells you. But, but actually, what John says, there's a prophet. Are you the prophet? He says, no, but one amongst you. There is the prophet is here. The prophet who's going to bring freedom is here. But it's not me. Or they ask him, are you Elijah? Now, he looked a bit like Elijah because he was unshaved and as a Nazarite and whatever. But actually, the last prophecy uh, in the last book of the, the Jewish Bible says this. Imagine if, this is your, if you're in a religious culture and this was what was said. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord who you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant who you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? And then later on it says, See, I will send Elijah the prophet to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. They're thinking the world, the day of the Lord is coming. The end of the world is coming. They're starting to feel this is a kind of end of the world moment where, where the, the, the Israel story is being redone and God's going uh, to send his, 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 his prophet, he's going to send Elijah, he's going to send the Messiah, one of those, it's got to be one of those who's going to set the people free. And he, John says no, and he points to Jesus and says actually he's the one. He's the Lamb of God. What would they have heard when they heard Lamb of God? What story they'd have heard? Passover. He's the Lamb of God. So he's pointing and saying, actually, the end of the world is here. In that sense, the end of the ages is here. It's an urgent moment. And so there's an urgency to get things sorted. So they come out in their thousands to get baptized because God's coming. Obviously, they're fearful of judgment. I thought about this and I thought, actually, we can have this we, we can have this sense of that life just goes on. just goes on and on and there's no urgency about the moment. There's no sense of, well, I've got to tell people about Jesus or I've got to live holy or I've got to do the right things because God is coming. We tend to think, oh, it's going to all stretch out into the future. I can sin if I want and, get rep- and repent later. Uh, you know, there's no sort of sense of God's coming to make things right. He's going to sort out sin and, and make everything right. And we can feel that. The only time we feel urgent to tell our, our, maybe our friends and family about Jesus, the only time we feel urgent is when they're dying. But actually, the truth is, we're all dying. And I think we've lost that sense of the urgency of the moment. We just think, well, we'll tell them another time. But if this message is the life-transforming message, that Jesus has brought us out of slavery and washed us clean and made us new, then that message needs to be communicated all the time. 
But I think we're so often down on it. We just don't want to speak about it. We think, well, tomorrow's going to happen or somebody else is going to take responsibility. But here's John the Baptist standing under the spotlight and saying, no, I'm going to take responsibility. We need to understand the urgency. Uh, Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, we are on. We are those on whom the end of the ages is come. You think, well, the guy preached about sin and the end of the world, he must be a nutter. No, but theologically, we are at the end of the ages. Any time now, God could break in. That's how the early church lived, and you say, don't be ridiculous. Of course, this hasn't happened, this hasn't happened. But we have to live with that sense of, this is an urgent message. This is an urgent message. He said, Paul says, live. Those who are married, live as if they're not married, because the time is short. You think, crazy. They think, no, don't, don't take the thing and say, well, I'm splitting up my marriage. What they're saying is, actually, no, this gospel message needs to go out. It's more important than, than this and this and this and all the other things that get to us. And we've lost that sense of urgency. I think people are, are trying to make sense of their own lives. They're trying to make sense of their own stories. They're trying to understand. But we've got this big story of that you can come out of all these things that, you, that, you, that mess you up and destroy you, that hold you captive, and you can come free and be in God's children. And we need to have that same urgency. Okay, let me, uh, I've got last point and we're done. So let me, can we just flick back the points, uh, see if we can remember. First one is we're called and chosen by God. Second one is unashamed. Third one is sense of urgency. But actually, this is the, this is the ultimate motivation. You will like it a lot more. So I left it to the end. This is the ultimate motivation for mission, and it's much more... Yes, it warms the heart. Because we can say, yes, we're called and chosen. Come on, it's your responsibility. We can say, come on, we need to be unashamed. Let's be bold. We can say, there's an urgent message that we need to communicate. And actually, all of those leave us feeling a little bit condemned, don't they? They feel like, I'm not really doing it. But this one, this is a beautiful motivation for mission. Let's read. It says, uh, 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 number four, John glimpsed the heart of the missionary God. Uh, John chapter 1, 29, don't finish with this. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Who's, he's the one I spoke about whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And then he says an interesting thing. He says, I myself did not know him, or I did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize me told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify. This is the Son of God. John the Baptist makes an interesting aside here, doesn't he? He said, I don't know Jesus. I don't know him. Now, I don't think that he's meaning I've never met him. Because I think they're family. So they would have met. And he's able, able to say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So he recognized him in the crowd. You could say it was just the Holy Spirit told him he's the one. But I think there's, there's a sense that he knew, he knew, he knew John, he, John the Baptist knew Jesus. But I think we can be like that. We can know, we can know Jesus. And then suddenly, God can give us a, a, a revelation of, of what's really going on. And I think that's what's happening to John here. He's got this sense of this recognition where, that I know what's really going on. I really see now what's really happening. And what does he see? 
John, Jesus comes to him. Uh, the other gospel writers say that he says, I need to be baptized. And John says, no, you shouldn't be baptized. Uh, I, uh, you should baptize me. You're the, you're the, the, the preeminent one. I, I'm not. Obviously, in Jewish culture, the one who came first was preeminent, but they say, no, you're the one who's come second, you're preeminent. He says, I'm really not worthy to, to even untie your sandals. He's saying, really, I'm the, you know, the famous preacher, John the Baptist, all the crowds are coming to say, look, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. So, but Jesus says, Let's, let this happen. Does anyone know what he says to, does anyone know the phrase? Fulfill all righteousness. What's going on here? Jesus was righteous, fully righteous. But I think what he's doing, he's demonstrating He's demonstrating what's going to happen to fulfill righteousness, to make the gospel work. He's, 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 he's telling him this. He, he, he's saying, no, let's going to happen. So what, do, what happens next in the story? Stay with me, guys. I'm nearly done. What, what happens next in the story that Jesus is what? Baptized. So he's put under the water and comes out of the water. How does that picture tell us about what's going to happen? It tells us that Jesus is going to come and die and be raised from the dead to fulfill all righteousness, to get the job done. So there's this symbolism of death and resurrection. But then this wonderful picture, you don't get the fullness of it in John, but you get it in other Gospels, it says, and, they saw, and it says, and John saw heaven open. So Jesus goes down under the water, comes out of the water, emerges out of the water, and it says, and heaven was opened. I don't know what it looks like. But it says, heaven was opened. And the Spirit of God came down like a dove. It's new beginnings. Remember the doves at the beginning in Genesis. The Spirit of God moving other waters. It comes down and it rests on him and remains on him. And he heard a voice from the Father saying, This is my Son who I loved, so I'm well pleased. That's an amazing thing that's going on there. It's almost like we're getting a, a glimpse right into the center of everything. I, put, I think I even put a slide and put my thoughts down so I said it properly. Is it there? Right here we glimpse into heaven, to the center of everything. The self-giving God of love. You are my son who I love. With you I'm well pleased. Right here we glimpse the loving, overflowing relationship between the Father and his one and only son. The one who's in the closest embrace of the Father. That's a great verse in John. He says he's in the bosom. That was an old-fashioned translation. Basically, he's, he's in the closest embrace of the Father. And he sees this picture. He says right here we see the very essence of life. For all eternity, the Father and the Son have poured themselves out by the Spirit and love to each other. It's almost like heaven's open and John the Baptist sees the magnificentness that is God. We sang about it, Father, Son and Spirit. He sees the love of the Father poured out onto this one. He sees the Holy Spirit rest on this one. It's almost we see this glimpse of this, this kind of relationship in God, this loving relationship between Father, Son and Spirit. We see this sense of, of, of God's essence. And this is what motivates us to mission. What motivates us to mission is that the Father delights in the Son. The Father delights in the Son, and He wants to. He wants the, the. He wants everybody to share in that delight because it's such a wonderful thing to delight in Jesus. Somebody prayed it. I will not give my glory to another. That's all the way through. The Father is delighting in Jesus and saying, "This is my beloved Son. I love you. You're so amazing." And the Son is, and the Father's given Himself by the Holy Spirit, given His love by the Holy Spirit to the Son, and the Son's through all eternity just basking in it. 
And the son said to the father, you, I love you, you're amazing, I delight in you, you're infinitely good and awesome, and I give myself to you by the Holy Spirit. And we see this picture of this loving God, of pouring out love and life to each other. The father delights in his son, and because the father delights in his son, he delights that we can share that. So when he makes the world, he spreads out the world, and he's made you in his image, he's made you for one purpose, to see Jesus and delight in him, to say he's the one, to join with the Father and say, Jesus, you're so beautiful, so wonderful, so amazing, I love you, I delight in you. And Jesus is joined with us and saying, come on church, look at my Father, isn't he gorgeous, isn't he beautiful, isn't he amazing and powerful and loving? And the Spirit flows between one and the other. God wants to share his joy with others. He wants to share that mutual feeling of delight that's in the Trinity. And he, he, so he sends his Son into the world that we might delight in him. Jesus is the, own, is the, is the missionary that's come from the Father, sent from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 18, we're finishing here, but John 18 says, um, John 18 says this, uh, 1 John 18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only Son, who is in the close embrace of the Father, has made him known. When you catch a glimpse of Jesus, you catch a glimpse of reality, of eternity, you catch a glimpse of a God who's incredibly loving who wants to pour himself out for you. In mission, God's love and life cascades by the Spirit from the Father who gives the Spirit to the Son, from the Son to the world. And I believe that John sees heaven open and he sees a glimpse of this cascade. He says, The one who sent me to baptize with water, that would be the Father, said, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain, he's the one, Jesus He's the one who baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. What's going to happen is that the Holy Spirit is going to... God, the Father pours the Holy Spirit into the Son. The Son is pouring the Holy Spirit into the world and saying, I want you to share the love of God. I want you to share this cascading love. Uh, is when, when people talk about baptism in the Spirit, we can get all sorts of interesting ideas. But actually what it's saying is, would you like to live under the waterfall of God's love? Wouldn't that be a great place to live? Wouldn't that be an amazing place to live? Wouldn't that be a life-giving place to live? It says it right there in the middle of John's prologue, in the middle where it says, that the middle section where it's all going to the, the first 18 verses, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become, is it there? Say it with me. Say it. Children of God. Children not born by a natural descent, not sons of Abraham, nor a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. What the invitation that, G, that John saw is, why don't you come and be a child of God with me? I want to invite you to, to be with Jesus and to sit in that embrace, that close embrace with the Father. But how is it going to happen? Let's, we're going to break bread in a moment, so we'd like to finish with the cross. But how is it going to happen? It's going to happen by not heaven torn open, but actually Jesus' body on the cross torn open. Where John saw heaven open and saw what God was like, those who saw Jesus crucified, the, the centurion, saw his body torn, op torn open and saw what he's like, says, truly this is the Son of God.
There's no voice from heaven when Jesus is dying on the cross. There's just silence. There's darkness. He's plunged into death. He says, my God, why have you forsaken me? The voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. But in that moment, he stood where we stood, cut off from the Father. Cut off from the love of God. Cut off from the life of God. There's an urgency to know about that. There's a, there's a, there's a boldness to know about that. There's an unashamed calling that we've got. This is, this is Jesus dying on the cross that we might do it. And it's not the Spirit that's poured out here. It's not the Spirit settling on Jesus descending. But it's the, it's the blood of Jesus poured out. The blood of Jesus poured out, shed, that we might know him. That he's plunged into death, that we might know him. But he comes out of the grave, comes out of the grave, and he says, I want to motivate you with this message. I want you to invite the world to come into the Father's embrace. I want you to invite the world boldly and unashamedly to come into the Father's embrace. This is the place, this is the gospel motivation. Paul says his love compels us. There's a sense where we catch the love of Jesus. It compels us to tell people about Jesus. He's saying, look, to those who received him, to you believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born by natural descent or a husband's decision, but born of God. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.